Okay, we're going to be looking at Titus chapter 2 again. Titus chapter 2. And uh, tonight, um, we're going to be talking about training grace, or you might say trained by grace. That's, that's an interesting concept. In fact, the way it's worded here is almost like uh, grace is the grace of God um, personified almost, um, the, way, the way that Paul words it. So training grace. Last week we tried to um, just take a look back at rescuing grace and, and the fact that that's how we're saved. That's the reason that we, uh, that we know God. That's the reason that we are redeemed. That's the reason that we are saved from the wrath to come. Um, because God just had mercy on us. In fact, we, we looked at chapter 3, and Paul talks about that there. So I'm coming back again to our main text here, and we're going to begin to uh, talk about, begin to flesh this out some, you know, the, the, the work that, that, uh, that grace, God's grace does in our lives, or you might say it this way, um, the effect of the grace of God on us, in us. So I'm going to go back to, to uh, verse 11 again, and just a, just a reminder here in the first part of that, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. And as I said, it's almost as though um, Paul is personifying the grace of God here. And, and of course, we, we see this kind of language in other places. And if you think, in terms of a person, of course, um, what is the ultimate expression of the grace of God? It would be Jesus, of course. And, and Jesus appeared. Uh, certainly could this, this, this phrase could be applicable to Him. Jesus appeared bringing salvation for all people. And, and uh, we've got that record in, in the Gospel accounts of the, uh, the first coming of Christ. But also, I think what Paul may be doing here, and I mentioned this before, is probably a reference back to verse uh, chapter 1, verse... And at the proper time manifested His Word, that is, God manifested His Word, through the preaching with which I have been entrusted by the command of God our Savior. So, um, in other words, when he talks about grace appearing to us, what he probably has in mind is the, the, the message of salvation through Jesus Christ, what which we call um, commonly the gospel. So he's talking about the the, the message of Jesus Christ. Um, again, verse three: at the proper time, manifested His word, or His it could, that could be translated His message, His message in preaching, um, or through the preaching with which I have been entrusted. So, for, for the grace of God, again, 2.11, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation. And, and the, the preaching of the gospel is the means that God uses. In Corinthians, Paul says that it's through the foolishness of the message preached that God chooses to save those who believe. Or, uh, if you have the old King James, it, it says roughly something like... Um, through the foolishness of preaching, God chose to save those who believe. So, uh, but the idea there again is is the the message, the gospel. So that's that's the means that God uses to save sinners. The the message of 
Jesus Christ. Or another way Paul says it in Corinthians is the, 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 the word of the cross. So the, the grace of God, that is the message, the gospel, um, the message about salvation through Jesus Christ, has appeared bringing salvation for all people. Um, literally, it's all men, but, uh, but the idea there would be um, you know, ladies, ladies are not excluded. So <laughs> The idea there would be uh, uh, mankind or, or whatever, or all peoples, you could say. Uh, so um, the ESV translates it, all people. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. All right, I'm going to go ahead and, and read that again and then read on down through verse 15. For the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness, and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. And then Paul says to Titus, Declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. So these are important things that Paul is laying out here as he's giving instruction for the church. So, let's go back again. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. Again, that's, that's what we honed in on last week. God's rescuing grace. He, he comes to sinners. And he doesn't, he doesn't come and He doesn't save because of something in us or because of something we did. In fact, um, Paul's going to really clarify that in, verse, in chapter 3, which we looked at last week. It's not because of works of righteousness which we have done but because of His mercy. So the grace of God comes rescuing. It, it, it's, a, it's appeared bringing salvation or bringing deliverance or bringing rescue, or you could just paraphrase it, rescuing uh, all people. In other words, this is the only means of rescue for sinners, for all people. But then uh, he goes on to say, just same sentence, I mean, just flowing right along here, Verse 12, training us. So you've got the grace of God has appeared. And now he's talking about something that it's, that it's doing as, as the result of its appearance. It's not a, not a passive grace. It's an effective, active and effective grace. So um, God is doing something by His grace and... and um, Again, and I know everybody here knows this, but um, it's, it's God that saves, right? God saves. And it sounds you know, kind of funny when you're saying, you know, the grace appeared bringing salvation. But like I said, Paul just kind of personifies it here um, and speaks of it all, almost as if it were a person. But, but um, certainly he's meaning God saves by His grace. In other words, there's, there's no, nothing... Um, the, the source of, of His saving work is not in us, it's just totally a work of grace. All right, so the grace of God has appeared, and the grace of God is training us to renounce ungodliness. So, 
Let's, I'm going to uh, kind of zero in on that word training for a moment. Um, this m- might be um, a, a little... I mean, we, we may not think this way, just kind of automatically, that, that grace is training us. We talk about being saved by grace, and a lot of times uh, when people say that, they're, you know, they're, they're talking about a, um, referencing a past event. You know, by, by grace, I've, I've been saved. God, God um, intervened in my life and brought me to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, brought me to faith in Jesus Christ, and that was all of grace. But Paul is saying here there's a, there's a continuing work that grace is doing in us. And he's using these participles again, um, like we've talked about before. Training. Training is one. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us. Training. Well, what do you think about when you, when you think about training? Teaching, maybe? Instru- Although, I would say this. I heard a guy say this years ago, and I, this made sense to me. Um, teaching can just be um, just verbal. And that's why you can teach your child something and say, um, do what I say, don't do what I do. <laughs> you know, if, in other words, if you tell them, don't do that, but then you do it, well, you've taught them to not do it because you told them don't do it. But you've trained them to do it. So you, so you could make a little bit of a distinction there. Good. Yeah. Right. That's right. Very good. Yeah, it's it's uh, prep, preparatory preparation. You, you know, you're you're uh, you're you're working towards a goal, moving towards a goal. Um, so athletes train right with the hopes of, of getting better, with the hopes of winning the prize. So yeah, that's good. In fact, that's exactly how. Um, uh, scripture uses this term. I'll show you in a moment. Uh, so, so, so that's one way to think about it. And, I, and let me say too, there's a, um, I guess you could say like a, a, a negative and a positive aspect, or, or be better to think of it this way. You know, there's there's uh, formative and there's corrective. Because another way that this word is translated sometimes is would be discipline, disciplining. But the discipline again is is not automatically. Corrective, and when we hear the word discipline, we think of, we think of you know uh, a, a spanking or whatever, or being put in the corner, or <laughs> stand out in the hall, or something like which that that is discipline. But there's also formative discipline, which again is training. You know, like like a coach disciplines the team, and that's not always uh, uh, corrective. Of course, you know, I think back when I was playing ball in junior high school, there was a lot of corrective discipline going on because we, we needed it a lot of times. But, but it wasn't all corrective. A lot of it was formative. So he'd make you, uh, you, you know, run drills and all those kinds of things or, or just make you practice your, like in basketball, practice your shooting or something like that. That's discipline. That, that's training. And that's what this word means that Paul is using here. Training. For the grace of God has appeared... Training us, or you might say, um, instructing us, teaching us. I mean, just to get the different nuances 
um, discipline, disciplining us in the sense of, of, of working with us uh, as, and, and my favorite one here is just what it says, training, um, because that, that is uh, applicable, in, applicable in all of those. Now, let me show you. The writer of Hebrews uses it, and everybody's familiar with this passage. Hebrews chapter 12, and I'm going to read a little bit of this, um, quite a bit of it probably, because that, this, this is the, the term is being used repeatedly here, and the writer of Hebrews is using uh, an athletic metaphor for the Christian life. So you look in chapter 12, verse 1, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, and of course he's just given this long list of people that um, in chapter 11 that we sometimes refer to as the, the roll call of faith or the hall of faith. Um, and so he says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. And you might be thinking now, okay, I get the sin part, lay aside every sin, but what's this deal with weight? Lay aside every weight. Because he's, he's, he's using a metaphor here. So he goes on to say, let us run with endurance. So now you can see why um, think, thinking uh, with this metaphor, you can see why it would, if you're going to run, it would be a good idea to lay aside the weights, right? And so he's, he's using weight and correlating that with sin. Um, lay, lay those aside and, and run the race with endurance. Of course, here, the race, uh, running the race is, is a, a metaphor for the Christian life. So, in other words, lay aside sin, sinfulness, that, so, that clings to us so closely and run with endurance. That is, the, the idea of finishing, getting to the finish line. Run with that mindset. I uh, think I've probably told this story before, but it always comes to me when I'm looking at Hebrews 12.1. I, I was... Um, um, I, you know, I played sports and all, like I said, in junior high school and, and was, you know, never real good at anything. Ba- basketball was my favorite. I, I loved basketball. One thing I loved doing, you know, and, and this, of course, not like a school sport or whatever, but I just I loved riding bike. I always loved riding bike. I think the only thing I can ever remember winning <laughs> was when we had a big field day. This, this might have been freshman year in high school. We had a, a big field day thing out at Ford Park in Shreveport. And there's a, there's a, 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 the road's long around that whole park. And so we, we had this big, uh, you know, quote, cross-country race around the park. Um, and I borrowed somebody's 10-speed bike. I didn't have one. Um, anyway, I won. But here's, here's why Hebrews 12.1 makes me think of this. One, one of my friends, um, <laughs> when we're getting ready to start the starting line, he's got these weights strapped onto his legs. He had it figured out. I mean, I mean he said, this is going to um, create momentum. So he said, when I, when I get going, you know, these, these weights are just really going to create momentum. So he, so he had those, you know, weights with the Velcro that you work out with, and he had them strapped around his shins and everything. And uh, we probably didn't get halfway around the thing till I passed by him, and he was about out of, out of breath. I mean, he was, he was gone. No, no good. <laughs> 
if he'd have just read Hebrews 12, 1, lay aside every weight and, uh, and ride the bike, you know, with endurance. Um, so you don't, you, if you're running, you're competing, riding bicycle, whatever, you don't want to be carrying a bunch of weights. If you're living the Christian life, you don't want to be weighted down with sin unnecessarily, right? I mean, we, we're, we, we all deal with sin every day, and we don't want to um, just uh, make it worse on ourselves um, by, by resisting um, sanctification. So, the writer of Hebrews says, <laughs> Lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus. So he's basically, you know, just like a runner would do, saying, keep your eye on the finish line. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. And, and by the way, in terms of faith, he's not only the, 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 the finish line, but he's, he's the one who started this whole thing. He's the initiator. He's the enabler. So, you know, if, if we're going to run with endurance, um, it's, it's going to be by him enabling us to do that. So that's why he says, looking on stay fixed on Jesus. Put the blinders on. Lay aside every weight. So you, you see these horses with blinders on so that they can focus straight ahead. Put the blinders on so that all you see is Jesus. Lay aside every weight. And run the race with endurance, looking unto Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So he's, he's saying Jesus endured. For the joy that was set before him, he endured. And he's exhorting us to do the same. Now, verse 3, Consider him, Jesus, Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that, address, that addresses you as sons? Now, here's a quote here from Proverbs 3, 11, and 12. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord. Now, there's our word we're looking for. So, the idea is there's training. Just like Pam was talking about, the idea being God, God, is, God is disciplining us, He's training us to make us better. And, and if you stick with the metaphor here, we're, we're running the race, and in the process, uh, it's, it's, a, it's a training ground, and in the process, God is, is making us better. In what sense? Well, we're Come to that in a moment. But he says, Do not regard lightly the discipline or the training of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by Him. And I think, you know, a lot of, as I said earlier, a lot of times when people read this, they think automatically corrective. So in other words, what, what the writer of Hebrews is talking about here is spanking. Well, I don't think so, although it includes that. So you see the word reprove there. But um, he's, just got, he's just finished listing all of these saints who have suffered down through the centuries and endured, looking for the reward. And he's exhorting his readers to do the same thing. And now he says, um, 
don't regard lightly the discipline or the training of the Lord. In other words, these things that we go through, you know, these hardships, whether, whether it be trials, temptations, persecutions, whatever it is, are actually training us. They are means of training us. I was, we were talking about this a little bit at lunch today, and some guy mentioned, a friend of mine mentioned something about running hurdles, and I thought, you know, that's a great example right there because um, the way we would tend to think, you know, if I were running, I, did, I never did run track, but the way we would tend to think, you know, or at least the way I would tend to think, maybe I should say that, Coach, if, if, you, t- if you would move the hurdles, I could do this a lot quicker. My time would be a lot better. <laughs> move, move the hurdles off the track, and, uh, and I'll get to the finish line quicker. But the hurdles are there for, for a reason. It's, it's part of the training. And it makes you, uh, to use, uh, you know, Brother Carl's uh, terminology, it makes you run faster and jump higher, right? You, put, you, you can increase the hurdles and, and uh, jump a little higher. Well, that's, that's what he's talking about here. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by Him, for the Lord disciplines the one He loves and chastises every son whom He receives. It is, and he's, he'll, he's still going on with this, with this metaphor, it is for discipline that you have to endure. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. God is training us like, like a father trains his son. Or, to go back to the athletic thing, you could say like a coach does his, his team. For what son, verse 7, for what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they discipline. Notice how he's, he's staying with this, with this and using this word repeatedly. And, and, and this is the same, uh, same word that uh, Paul is using over in Titus 2.11. For, for they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. That is, you know, our earthly fathers trained us for for a short time. That is why we were under their care, relatively short time. While we were under their care, our earthly fathers trained us as they thought best. But now here's here's the the reality with God. He says he says, but he disciplines or trains us. For our good, that we may share His holiness. Now, what are we being trained for? That's it right there. What are we getting better at by the grace of God, as, as Pam said? We're, we're being made holy. So, God is training or disciplining us for our Good, and it's interesting and encouraging, by the way, the way uh, the, the author words that, because our, you know, 
earthly fathers are all um, prone to error. But, you know, we do the best we can. It's kind of what Paul is saying. They, 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 they did what they think is right. And sometimes, um, I mean, sometimes it may be according to tradition or the way, you know, just the way we were taught or something like that. And sometimes, in fact, this would, I guess this would always be the heart of, of any error that we make. Sometimes we're not acting really for the, for the good of the child. Although that may be our overall intention. Um, you, you, in any given, you know, situation, we may do something that's not actually good for the child. We, we mess up. But God disciplines us for our good. I mean, he is, He's never off the mark there. And it's encouraging to know um, that that's, that's His intention <laughs> and He never misses. You know, He, he doesn't, he doesn't uh, miss the mark. So He's always training and disciplining us for our good so that we may share His holiness. In other words, He's, he's conforming us to His image. He's making us more and more like Him. And how does He do that? Well, a lot of it is, is with the hurdles. You know, he, he brings us through trials, temptations, persecutions, and in the process makes us more and more like Him. Less and less like the world and more and more like Him. So Paul, or I'm, I, Paul, I do that kind of automatically. I do that a lot with Hebrews. But we don't know who the author of Hebrews is. Um, verse 11. For the moment... All discipline seems painful. You better believe it. Whether you're talking formative or corrective. I mean, if you're talking corrective, um, you know, I, I, had, um, I had coaches back then. I don't know if they still do this or not, still do this or not, but they had some, they had some big paddles, you know, because we were teenagers. I mean, so they didn't mess around. They had some big paddles, and, and they'd put it on you. But even the formative discipline hurt. I mean, you know, we always, we, we would accuse them of trying to kill us. You know, they'd run you, and, and if, if you complained about your side hurting, they would just tell you to run more. <laughs> so, discipline doesn't, you know, it's not always enjoyable. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later, it yields, well, if you go back to the metaphor, what does it yield? Well, if, if, a, if a runner is being trained... I mean, he just gets better and better and better at it. And when he's when he wins the reef and he's standing on the podium, uh, that's that's the fruit of all of that training and discipline. That's the glory. He endured for the glory or, or for the joy that was set before him. But now, what about the Christian life? The, the reality that that these metaphors are pointing to. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. By what? By the discipline, by the training. In other words, by the, by the hardships, by the temptations, by the trials, the persecutions. Therefore, verse 12 Lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint but rather be healed. Strive 
for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. So, he, 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 now he, he, he goes to an exhortation and, and makes his point. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness. There's a, there's a definite article there. So he's talking about something specific, not just holiness in general. Strive for peace and the holiness. Well, what, what holiness? Why, why, and the, the, the article's there in the Greek. Why, why is there a definite article there? Well, I think because he's, he's pointing back to verse um, 10. He's already mentioned holiness. For they, that is, our, our earthly fathers disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best for them. But He, God, disciplines us for our good that we may share His holiness. And then in verse 14, strive for peace with everyone, strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness. That is, the holiness that is His. The holiness of God. Without which no one will see the Lord. So he says, strive for that. Strive for that. Now, again, he's coming out of this athletic metaphor. So, so, he, so what he has in mind here is, is, is a struggle to, to as Pam said, to, to improve, to get better, to progress, to move, to continue to move toward the finish line. To stay the course. Or the, the, the author of Hebrews likes to use that term endurance. In fact, it's common in the Scripture period, but, but he, he especially likes it. Endure. Endure. Strive. Stay the course. How do you do that? In, in other words, strive for what? For, strive for peace with everyone. And if we just kind of, you know, take this back to the, where we started in Titus, because there's similar concept there, why would we do that? Because the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all people. So, therefore, strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Well, I, I, I read all of that because I think there's a great description there of, of um, training, discipline, and I think that helps uh, in understanding Titus 2.11. Let me go back there. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us, Training us. So, God's grace is, is not just operative at regeneration or even in preparation for regeneration as God uh, is, is, uh, is working, orchestrating things in, in order to bring us to that point. It's not like it turns off at that point. The, the grace of God is, is operative back there for the foundation of the world. 
And then, you know, when, when we come in, when He brings us into being, and as we go through our life, right up to the point to where He does regenerate us, and then, of course, that is, that is all of grace. All of those things. He chose us before the foundation of the world. That's by grace. He brought us into existence by grace. He preserved us to the point of regeneration by grace. And then He regenerates us by grace. But, but then it, it, it keeps on. The grace of God has appeared bringing salvation to all people, training us. So, what is it training, or how is it training us? And He gives a, a, a negative aspect and a, and a positive aspect here. Training us, first of all, to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. So great, the grace of God is teaching us to reject or renounce the things of this world. The term for un- ungodliness there is just the uh, uh, is just godliness uh, negated. So in other words, it's, it's whatever godliness is. That term that he uses there is, is, um, is the opposite of it. Or you could just think of, um, you know, void of godliness. And, I'll, and I've, I've said this a lot of times. I like to think of godliness. I like to describe it by using the term godlikeness. Godlikeness. So this would be, I guess, God-unlikeness, right? Everything that is, that is not consistent with the nature and character of God. The grace of God trains us to renounce or reject or refuse everything that is opposed to God or that is um, inconsistent with God's character and nature. And it's, that's, that's, that's a work going on in us uh, while, we are, while we are living in this world. And it starts at regeneration, but, you know, if you're like me and... and um, Five minutes after you were regenerated or the next day when you woke up or whatever, you, you found that you were still not perfect. <laughs> but grace already was working. But now there's a long training process to go through while we're in this wor- world. I say long. It's long if we live long. Short if we live short, I guess. But, but uh, as long as we're in this world... Um, that process of, that we call sanctification is going on, and it's, it's working by the grace of God. That it is, it, it is the grace of God training us. God by His grace. God by His grace. I think about what we talked about Sunday, you know, Sergius Paulus. Here, here Barnabas and Paul go out and they're preaching the gospel, and this man seeks to know the truth. Well, first of all, that's of grace. You know, he sought to hear the Word of God from Barnabas and, and Paul. And then as they're giving him the gospel, um, this uh, Elimus, Bar-Jesus, the false prophet, uh, intervenes and opposes what they're doing. Well, all things being equal, you could say, I'm just hypothetically, all, all things being equal... This guy, Sergius Paulus, got like a 50-50 shot here, right? I mean, he could go with Barnabas and Paul, or he could go with Elimus. 
and maybe maybe both sides were persuasive. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what uh, this guy what all was said. But my, my point is just this: Why did Sergius Paulus come away a believer? Why did he, let me say it this way? Why did he reject the ungodliness of Elimus and receive the message of Jesus from Barnabas and Paul? Because the grace of God was training him to renounce ungodliness. And that's just an example because the same is true with all of us. And again, not just at the initial point of salvation, but throughout our, our Christian walk. As, you know, as we stay in the Word, read and learn and, and pray and learn and so forth, we, we are being taught by God, by His grace, to reject ungodliness. And also, he says, um, the passions of this world are worldly, worldly passions. Outside of Christ, that is what uh, drives us. In fact, um, he talks a little bit about that uh, in, in chapter 3 also. Chapter 3, verse 3. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. So that's those things. That's what he's saying. Yeah, that's where we were, but now the grace of God is training us to reject those things and no longer follow and it follow them and, it, and it's a process again we're not we didn't do it perfectly the day after we came to know christ we didn't do it perfectly five years after we came to know christ we don't do it perfectly today um and we won't do it perfectly uh as long as we're in this world but we're, we're, we're moving and progressing and growing growing in grace and in the knowledge of the lord so that's the negative aspect is training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions so that we are now uh, driven by pursuit of Christ r- rather than uh, a pursuit of, of, of um, fleshly, fleshly pleasures, sinful pleasures. And then the positive aspect is it's training us to, same verse, verse 12, training us to live self-controlled, upright, and Godly lives. So, so there's the godly as opposed to the, the ungodliness. Uh, so, so we're being trained to reject ungodliness and worldly passions, and we're being trained to live self-controlled, which uh, is, a, is a good opposite for um, the worldly passions. Uh, you, you know, just being given over to the pursuit of, of, uh, of worldly passions. But instead... Paul says, the grace of God is training us to live self-controlled lives, to live upright as opposed to perverse or crooked like we once did. And again, you, can, you could compare all of these to, um, to the sinfulness he describes in chapter 3. And the grace of God trains us to live godly lives. So self-controlled lives, upright lives, godly lives in this present 
age, or literally in the now age, you know, as opposed to um, glory, when we get to glory. So he's talking about in the now age, in the present age, same thing the writer of Hebrews is talking about when he says, you know, lay aside every weight and that sin which clings so closely to us and run the race with endurance. He's talking about the Christian life. And the same thing Paul's talking about here. The grace of God trains us to live in this present age. You know, um, some of the things, and, 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 and this, this will kind of help explain too, you know, some of, the, uh, some of what the writer of Hebrews is talking about when, he, when, he, when he's got the idea of Christians going through trouble, you know, and, and endure, you know, he's encouraging them to endure, endure. Many of the things that you and I um, value, in fact, you could say our values, our value system as Christians, um, in, in, in the past, in our lifetimes, everybody in this room, our lifetime, ha- have even been held up by the world to be admirable to some degree in our, in our culture. And that is rapidly, rapidly changing. So, you know, it's going to be, become even more and more evident that we're on a different course. And that we're, we're running counter. And we, we, we use that term a lot, counterculture, countercultural. Well, and I'm not talking about the yogurt. I'm talking about um, <laughs> living in a way that's different from the world. We, we use that terminology a lot, but, you know, I mean, it hasn't been all that obvious in the past. But that is quickly, quickly changing. And so um, we need endurance, as the writer of Hebrews says, by the grace of God. And, uh, and thankfully, God provides it. So in this present age, this evil age, and, and, you know, and it may become more uh, obviously evil uh, as we go, rather, rather, again, rather quickly. But the grace of God is training us. And this is the good news. Even in the midst of all this, the grace of God is training us how to live godly in this present age. As we're waiting, now I'm going to stop here, but I just want to throw this out because we'll, we'll probably pick it up next time. Because we're doing this as we're waiting for our blessed hope. And uh, uh, so again, the waiting is not, is not passive. It, it's active. And uh, Lord willing, we'll, we'll get into that uh, next time. Any, before we dismiss, any thoughts, comments?